As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. C.S. Lewis Podcast with Alistair McGrath. Thank you for listening to the show that brings you the thought and theology of C.S. Lewis with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis Podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. But now for today's show. I am delighted today to be joined by Dr. Carolyn Weber, an award-winning author, popular professor and international speaker. She was incredibly the first female dean of St. Peter's College in Oxford and is now a professor at New College Franklin in Tennessee. Carolyn's first memoir, an incredible book, Surprised by Oxford, recently became a feature film and both the book and the film tell her story of coming to faith from scepticism, a journey that in many ways mirrors C.S. Lewis's own. Carolyn, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Ruth. It's a really, it's a big delight. Thank you. Oh, well, it's an absolute <laughs> pleasure. And I so loved seeing all those beautiful Oxford shots in the film. Mm. If it's okay with you, I'd love to go right back to the beginning. What was your first interaction with C.S. Lewis? Do you remember how you first encountered him? Oh, yes, um, because it was magical. I was little and um, my mum had had a hard delivery with my youngest sister and uh, and a, a, a wonderful Welsh lady across the street introduced me to Narnia. Um, but that was the only the only knowledge I had of Lewis until I was older. Um, so I'd read the Narnia Chronicles uh, and it really wasn't until I started studying at Oxford that I began to realize, I think like many others, right, that he had written so many other genres and had written in the, um, theology in that as well. So my introduction was through the Narnia stories. Oh, and as you say, you went on to Oxford, you won a scholarship, incredibly, to mm-hmm. Oxford. I mean, what were your yeah. first impressions of the place? Because it's, I mean, it's kind of like nowhere else in the world, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it is. It, I mean, I can see it reminded me of Narnia because you're walking along and then you go through these little portals, right, into these magical worlds in a sense where the colleges are tucked in into the city. Um, but I really identified later when I read Surprised by Joy, Lewis's own description of arriving at Oxford and going the wrong way from the train mm-hmm. station, which is such a metaphor for my life. I did the exact same thing with lots of heavy luggage and um, walked the wrong direction. But then when I turned around and looked, I saw it in retrospect, which I think is also such a great metaphor for grace and how God works in our lives. But um, that was my introduction to Oxford. So I was looking for a campus, you know, um, and like a North American type yeah. campus. Um, and it's a very different 
sort of, you know, integration of colleges and city and that sort of thing. So it's a very beautiful architecture, but also just a very unique type of campus. With people wearing very strange clothes a lot of the time. (laughs) Right, right. And also people getting along with their ordinary lives, right? There's a town gown dichotomy Mm -hmm. as well. And, um, and so it's a it has a very different feel from say, um, an American campus. And how did you encounter Lewis while you were there? Because that was quite different from the Narnia Chronicles, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> so I actually inter- uh, was introduced more formally to his other work and him as a thinker, um, primarily through a former student of his, Sheldon Van Auken, who wrote A Severe Mercy. So um, Kent, um, this this man that I had met, who was one of the first people to really articulate the gospel to me clearly, uh, recommended A Severe Mercy. Um, and I ended up reading that, was really moved by that, and pursued more of Lewis, recognizing that Vinokin had been one of his students and the impact on his life and the incorporation of letters and things there. And so I started reading um, all sorts of things by him. But actually, Mere Christianity was obviously one of the first because a f- few friends of mine who were Christians recommended that as well. Uh, and so I was sort of introduced that way. But I was really shaped early on to um, Ruth, I think, by the screw tape letters and by the great divorce. Uh, I remember reading those before I was a believer and being really intrigued. I was a, a student of Milton. So, mm. of course, I was sort of attracted to, you know, the heroic Satan Is and it? that sort of thing. And, and screw tape letters were fascinating, that kind of way that our minds are played with um, against ourselves, that sort of Miltonic psychology. So, I and I and I had appreciated Lewis as a scholar in bits and pieces prior to that, even as an undergraduate, because of his preface, you know, to Paradise Lost, his literary work, you know, some of his, um, you know, poetry collection work and that sort of thing. But I had known him primarily as an academic or the Narnia Chronicles until um, I started reading more seriously in my first year at Oxford through Friends. And one of the books you read was Surprised by Joy. I, mean, yes, I wonder yes. if, if when you were thinking about it and, and reading it, if you had any thoughts about what that phrase meant uh, to Wordsworth, who he obviously stole mm. it from, then to Lewis himself, and I guess most importantly, what it then came to mean for you, what, what that sort of that phrase, Surprised by Joy, meant. Mm. Well, I, I'm, of course, I knew it from Wordsworth, and I loved it in Wordsworth, that notion of finding um, beauty and, and truth in common everyday things and being surprised by that into a deeper feeling. But what I, why I studied the romantics is I was attracted to their notion of longing, right, infinite longing. Um, but it never quite pointed fully somewhere either. And what I thought was fascinating with Lewis is I so identified with how he described that thrill, that longing, that that sun-soaked, you know, something that's sort of pressed in a deep spiritual button within ourselves um, by something small and unexpected. Actually, one of my favorite childhood books was called Serendipity. It was this little sea creature that was found by accident. And so I had, I just recognized that feeling. I think we all do, that feeling of being surprised into something we know is teasing us into something deeper. Wordsworth writes a poem, Intimations of Immortality, as well as his Intimations Ode which I had been, you know, working and studying in that as well. And that idea that there's something that we're drawn to that's deeper, that runs deeper than ourselves. Um, And so for Lewis to be able to articulate what that was pointing to just opened this whole other door for me into another world. And what were some of those key elements along your journey towards Christianity? And, And was there kind of a lightning bolt moment or was it a sort of series of culminative events that led to you know, gradually unpicking your atheism and, and moving to Christianity? <laughs> That's such a delightfully um, rich question. <laughs> I think it was a 
combination of both, which I know is a terribly Canadian answer. But um, I think it was really a combination of both. There were lightning moments in which things just went, aha, wow, okay. Um, sort of that surprise, right? That that thrill, that awakening. Um, or even recognizing when things are terribly broken or wrong, which can also be just as compelling. You know, so um, the compulsion of comedy and tragedy. But I, I also think... Um, it was a slow boil. I really identified with Lewis being the most reluctant convert and, and kicking and screaming. I didn't think that faith and reason were compatible. Um, I thought they were necessarily antithetical. Uh, and I was really challenged by the Christian intellectual tradition. I think like many, I had no idea actually how much is embedded in our intellectual tradition anyway, that is um, inherently Judeo-Christian and in our ethics and morality but also uh, the thoughtful tradition um, that was there. Um, I have, of course, read bits and pieces as well Mm -hmm. as an undergraduate, but didn't didn't fully understand that, wow, there was this rich intellectual history of thought and that um, the things that seemed to be paradoxes were only seeming contradictions, which is actually what a paradox is. They can actually both really complement each other as can science and faith and things like that. And I began to realize that everything I had read and everything I was continuing to read kept drawing on this longing and pointing to toward the glory of God. And it was horrendously inconvenient. <laughs> and, um, but I couldn't deny it. And so I did have a moment, it was actually on February 14th, it was on the evening of Valentine's Day after being at a, a party where everybody was snogging and drinking and whatnot, and realizing, you know, there's nothing like the city of man to highlight the city <laughs> of God. And, <laughs> in non-judgmental terms, just wanting something more in which I was reading John when I went back to my dorm room, and it really came out in 3D to me, the beginning of John. That was a very aha uh-huh sort of turning moment, a bit like a bit like Lewis on the motorcycle, <laughs> on the sidecar, you know, where it's both very prosaic and very profound at the same time. And, uh, and that's been, that was a turning point for me. But after that, also a growing, a continuing growing in it. And you mentioned that you sort of had assumed that faith and reason were completely opposed. I mean, did Uh Lewis help you in any way to challenge that presupposition, do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, for one, he's a tremendously sneaky author. (laughs) You know, because really, he's incredibly erudite and very accessible. And I think that's the sign of any professional, right? You watch figure skaters... Um, Olympic figure skaters, and you think, oh, I can do that. (laughs) (laughs) Years of training and years of amazing hard work, and they make it look easy. And I think you see that when you read him, he's very, very engaging. And there's actually, you feel like you're having a cuppa with him um, over really big ideas or things like that. But he's very, at times, humorous or self-deprecating or whatnot as well. And yet massive amounts of reading and thinking have gone behind that, um, that sort of companionship in the pages. And so, um, yes, I I found him both um, challenging in the content and in the presentation and in the range range of of genre, you know, that you could swing from Mm sci-fi to, to, you know, fairy tale to fiction to whatnot, um, um, and to straight out theology. So, um, and layman sort of theology, very accessible. So I felt very challenged by that, that somebody um, could be a thinking person and also have faith. Um, And I really, it wasn't that I was antagonistic towards people of faith necessarily. I just thought it was really quite ridiculous. (laughs) Which is probably where Lewis was before his conversion as well, right? Absolutely. And it's incredibly condescending and, and, and 
and stereotypical as well, um, especially in the face of really asking. I think the gauntlet that was thrown to me is, you know, who do you say I am? Mm. When Jesus asks us that, who who do I say he is? Not the person to my left or my right, you know, not the other thieves other than myself, but who do I say he is? And it was growing increasingly more difficult to deny who he was. And obviously, Lewis played a significant part in your own journey. But why do you think that so many people sort of cite Lewis's works as having a very important part in their own journey of faith? Well, I think it's because he speaks to so many types of people, right? I mean, he has this um, delightfulness for children and also the ch- the the child that becomes father of the man, right? You know, the ch- child within all of us. Um, but you can also wrangle with him on larger issues. Um, he writes essays on sunbeams and tool sheds and looking at the ordinary from two different perspectives. And he also writes about, you know, taking journeys, um, you know, to heaven from hell, you know, like there's, there's such a range of topics and genres and ideas to which I think he appeals to such a great number of people. But I think ultimately, it's a sense of sitting with someone in in your own mind, which is such grace itself, right, that no one else knows our ideas except us and God, I think is such proof of grace. (laughs) And when we're reading, we're having that conversation with that person and joining with them. And he creates, I think, through his writing, very much a sense that you're having a non-judgmental conversation um, in which you can entertain these ideas. It's very Aristotelian. You know, you can entertain lots of ideas without necessarily accepting any of them with immense civility and respect, Mm. um, which is also how, you know, the Lord treats us, right? Knocks, but doesn't um, force his way in. Lewis was obviously a professor of literature. I mean, does that resonate with you given that you are an academic also in this area? I'm guessing the answer is yes, but, but in, yes. What, in, in what ways has sort of Lewis's literature and his approach informed your own work and, and I guess your own life as well? Um, well, I think he spoke to me personally. I mean, I believe God speaks to us in all our various love languages, but I love literature. I love words. Um, and so for me as, an, as a seeker, he spoke to me very much that way because I love literature it's sort of my Klingon. It's how I'm speaking too. So and how I was speaking with my friends and whatnot. Um, and again, it doesn't mean um, that it's elitist or, you know, you can't, you have to be a reader or whatever else. I think he hits people in so many different yeah. ways. And we all have different, as I said before, different love languages, different ways that the Lord gets our attention. But reading and words for me um, were my great love. And I think the way that he uses them, obviously, even the way that he studies them, even <laughs> the way that he has done work in etymology, you know, really... There was both an ethos to him and um, and a uh, a love, a passion that he had for literature and the ability to stitch those ideas together, as well as kind of, I think, a sense of overarching story and our importance and significance in God's story as the great author in that. And there's a lovely moment in the book, which, you know, may may or may not be poetic. Uh, sorry, in the, in the film, which may or may not be poetic license, where you're walking down Addison's Walk in, in a very sort of parallel of what happened to Lewis and Tolkien and that mm-hmm. incredibly important conversation they had about true myth, which, you know, really was the beginning of his journey towards Christianity. I mean, do you see any parallels um, between Lewis's conversion and your own faith journey? Um, oh, yes, I think so. I mean, in the sense that I think, um, I mean, I think we both, we both, all of us share woundings and, and um, we all have similar woundings and things like that, that actually bring us together in Christ. But I think the loss of his mother in many mm-hmm. ways um, 
was similar to the loss of my father. My father didn't die, but he sort of did die metaphorically for me and really changed and shaped my concept of an eternal father. Um, I certainly could see how that would have shaped Lewis's sense of loss and grief and um, a, an eternal father that could be dependable or safe or trustworthy or loving. And I certainly harbored all those um, questions and skepticisms and um, and arrows. Um, but also, I think in terms of really reading and thinking and loving the philosophy and that of ideas and harboring the fact that, you know, that our God can't possibly withstand those kind of questions. Mm. And um, something is going to dismantle everything. And um, and I mean, also, too, I mean, I, I certainly didn't go through war like he did, all those kind of biological things. But when you in our biographies, but when you think about things that significantly challenge um, and shape concepts of a loving, good and omniscient father, mm-hmm. um, you know, you tend to have a lot of holes, a sieve in that concept. And um, and I think his reading, I identified with how his reading, when you talk about Tolkien, I think as well, and that idea of all the myths pointing to those desires, how that love for reading and immersion in story and and delight in ideas actually points more towards a God that we can know, um, but we also can't. <laughs> um, you know, that there is a, both um, knowledge of and knowledge about experiential knowledge that's incredibly convicting and scriptural knowledge, but also mystery and those combined together. And I think um, I, I really, he was more Fae than he let on too, right? Like it, w- with his re- friendship with Charles Williams and when he passed and that, and as he expresses later with joy. So there are many things in which um, <clears throat> I think identified with his, um, his, his description of longing and connection with it, but also his desire for mystery and um, and for magic and for things that are unknown as well. And what inspired you to write Surprised by Oxford? Because it was quite a sort of veering away from, from most of what you write about as an academic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was. I'd never anticipated writing a memoir at all. Um, ne- uh, never. So I read it. I wrote it years later. A, a lot of students over the years had sort of suggested, uh, you know, I'd write this story. I'd shared it with folks. It really was on my heart um, in terms of sharing those parts of those stories over the years, uh, particularly with friends and family who didn't know Christ. Um, so I was finally prompted to write part of it initially when I was before I was tenured at a secular university, Ruth. And then I was warned not to write about my faith. Um that I probably wouldn't receive tenure or it wouldn't be a politically astute thing to do. <laughs> so I tabled it for a bit. And then it was actually the birth of my twins um, where things became very clear priority wise that I wanted to, I, I decided to go back and finish the project. And I really wanted, I really wrote it mainly between me and God and me and my unbelieving friends and family, never anticipating it being more widely read. Well, I, obviously that was not fiction, but I guess Lewis is arguably well known for his fiction, particularly the uh-huh. Narnia Chronicles. I mean, why uh-huh. do you think, I guess, as a professor of, of literature, why do you believe stories are so powerful to speak to us today? Mm. I, I believe they're so powerful because they connect us on the most personal and yet universal of levels. Uh, allegory and symbolism in that. I mean, if you take the story of, you know, the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, for instance, we all want to be seen. We all want to be known, right? We all want to be crowned. <laughs> we all want to inherit the kingdom that, you know, he's he's delighted to give to his children. Um, we all make mistakes. 
and need to be forgiven. We all need to extend grace to each other and, and love one another. Um, that's a place where life is fully lived, and we all crave that. I haven't met a single person who doesn't long for that, mm-hmm. for those things. And so I think in story, it's where we're allowed to explore it and have it fulfilled and and feel it out and experience it and um, and climb into someone else's soul and skin while we uh, figure out our own. Um, and as I said, any genre too, you know, tragedy, comedy, all of those things. But I think uh, I think that's probably why particularly something like the Narnia Chronicles are so enduring. And this may, I'm well aware, it may be like asking you to choose between your favourite, you know, choose out of your four children, which one is your favourite. But if, oh I, if I had to push you, do you have a favourite mm. quote or book or idea of C.S. Lewis? Or is that too difficult to pick out? Oh, my goodness. It's like it's smorgasbord difficult. <laughs> <laughs> And that there's so many, I'm like, would you alphabetize those? I'm not sure. I'm always then loving an anthology or whatnot. Oh, gosh. So many things. Um, so many things. But, you know, I I guess, yeah, just so many are, are delightful and loving. And I love his his thoughts on prayer as well. Um, and But I also have loved A Grief Observed. And and the reason why, and this is not to sound so heavy, but it's interesting that he would go and write on grief, mm. having lost joy, yeah. given all the wonderful ironies and beautiful blessings in that name, and the double entendre on the title for him, really, in his own life, and um, of being surprised by her and surprised by God's grace. And I think that that's such a moving and beautiful book because, yes, it's heavy, yes, it's difficult, but it gives us the permission to also look at God from the other side, the side that's difficult to <laughs> think about decide about where he is and when you feel like he's not knocking but you are and there's no answer and still to be able you know I think as he was asked at one point when he was grieving joy you know how is your your grief must your your faith must be a great comfort uh, and he uh, says no it's not <laughs> you know I think ultimately that Lewis gives us permission um, to be real in our faith and to strip away the cultural leaves from it and the threads from it um that are very much like how Jesus is. He meets us where we're at, each person where we're at, at that time, in that moment, um, and asks us what we want and is what we need, even when we can't articulate it. And uh, and so there's so many things, but I think that would be a culmination for me in many ways is how he even grapples with grief. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I think that's probably rings true for so many people who have come across Lewis, doesn't it? I don't know about mm-hmm. you, but I found the problem of pain just to be too philosophical. Uh-huh. And, and I'm sure, you know, the arguments are sound, but it doesn't speak uh-huh. to someone who's actually in the throes of grief. Whereas if you look at, for instance, the magician's nephew and the tears rolling down Aslan's yes. cheek and Diggory yes. is just astounded that the tears are so big and bright. And I think, as you say, the kind of the raging of grief observed and the beautiful telling of the story in Narnia, that to me speaks much more powerfully than, you know, in in inverted commas, his apologetic arguments for for the goodness of God. Yes, which and they definitely have their place. I mean, that, you know, certainly right does appeal to and and to reason and logic. But I I agree with Madeleine Langle in the sense, right, that Jesus was more of a storyteller than a theologian. Mm -hmm. That's beautiful. I really like that. Just as we're coming to the end of this, Carolyn, I feel like I have to ask you this, having watched the film. I, again, okay. I'm aware there may be poetic license in here, but I just okay, yes, have to is. ask, were you actually banned from the Bodleian Library? <laughs> Fortunately not. Excellent. <laughs> I was warned. I was warned about using ink in the Duke Humphreys. Um, 
And uh, and it, I think there were more strictures at the time, you know, obviously to you in terms of drinks and things like that. But I was I was warned. So um, Ryan um, Whitaker, who did this screenplay and who's just um, a wonderful writer and a beautiful, gentle hearted person. He loved that warning. Mm-hmm. And, and so there is, of course, a little poetic license um, to build the tension. But I think he was doing a good job reflecting sort of the really, in a way, the breakdown that um, conversion imposes, the necessary breakdown, you know, where we we have a a collision of worlds, and we're forced to think them through. And that, for me, the answers had always been in books. Um, And to some degree, you know, we have that with the Bible, but we also have Christ coming to us as a baby, too. I mean, there's, there's books, and then there's things that cannot be explained. And there's things we can do and things we absolutely cannot do um, that we don't deserve and we can't achieve. And, uh, and I think it was coming to the edge of that. Um, and I, therefore, I went back and really agreed in many ways, resonated with Sheldon Vanaken. Recently, many people talk about, you know, faith is a leap, but he had felt it was more of a falling back, mm. that he looked back and saw the gap between he and Christ and, and, and who he was and how he couldn't get, deny that fact. And, um, and sort of like the, you know, Lewis not being a believer on the way to the zoo and then a believer at the zoo. You know, um, it's so profound and simple at the same time. Karen, and finally, why do you think 60 years after his death, C.S. Lewis is still relevant today to so many people? Well, I think he's relevant. He will always be relevant, but I think he's going to have an increasing relevance. Um, and probably precisely that, because Ruth, he, he really underscores the relevance of faith to our own lives. I think people struggle first and foremost, I would agree with him, with the fact that we don't think faith is relevant. It's maybe something that we go and visit in another room or do on Sundays or isn't really there when the chips are down. And all his works point to how relevant faith is to different aspects of our lives, whether we're thinking, whether we're feeling, whether we're grieving, whether we're children, whether we're adults reading to children, um, you know, whether we're in wonder, whether we're in pain, and that faith is absolutely the most relevant, um, relevant, reverence is relevant to our lives. Carolyn, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Oh, you too. Thank you so much. A foretaste of heaven for sure to have this kind of fellowship. (laughs) Thank you, Ruth. Thank you for listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast with me, Ruth Jackson. Discover more about Lewis by visiting premierunbelievable.com, where you can also find lots of great articles, resources and podcasts. And do register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. If you enjoy listening to the C.S. Lewis podcast, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time.